0: So good morning and welcome, I'm Paul, host of the new P&L, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new P&L, one that is focused as much on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we start the conversation today, I wanted to update you on our latest initiative at the New PNL. In November this year, we're launching our exclusive Mantramind program, and in episode 48, last week's The New PNL to the Point, we outline how the Mantramind program works and what you can expect from it. But essentially, it's like a traditional mastermind program. It's focused on accountability, on inspiration, and acquisition knowledge. And it'll be an opportunity for like minded business leaders, managers, employees, and entrepreneurs from right around the world to come together in small focus groups of three or four people each, facilitated by the new PL host, me, Paul, once a month for a couple of hours with the ultimate aim of personal and professional growth. However, there's a bit more to the Mantra Mind program than just that, because each month, the Mantra Minders, those attending that group, We'll also dig deep into the topics from the previous three to four episodes of the new p To The Point, to understand and discuss how each mantra reminder can apply some of these key business insights in their business over the following month, giving the group discussion real focus and additional value. So if this sounds like you, then check out the links and the notes that accompany the podcast and get in touch. Okay, so on to today's guest. This week on the new p We have the incredible Ari Gulpa. Ari is the world's number one authority on trust-based selling and is author of Unlock the Sales Game and The One Call Sale. He is now the most sought after trust-based selling authority for advisors, consultants, business owners and entrepreneurs, as well as major corporations such as Citibank, Telstra and General Electric. As trust becomes the most important currency in the new economy, The act of selling as a dehumanizing experience with endless chasing and multiple steps has been completely reinvented and anchored in values of integrity and trust through Ari's trust-based selling process. In his best-selling book, Unlock the Game, Ari describes his revolutionary sales approach based on getting to the truth and why having a mindset of focusing on deep trust transforms the sales process. Ari, a very warm welcome to the new p Thank you so much for taking the time to join us.
1: You're welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Perhaps we could start the discussion today with you giving listeners just a quick introduction to who you are, what you do, and who you do it for.
1: Sure. Well, as you probably caught the accent, I'm from the US originally from California, but now in Sydney here for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And my wife on a dating site pre-swiping years ago when she was working in Los Angeles from Sydney. Nice. Uh, we got, in, in, got engaged here in Australia, we got married here, and we have three kids now live in Sydney. So uh, pretty much living here, I uh, uh, specialize in what's called trust-based selling, a very niche area for helping entrepreneurs and owners of companies sell with integrity and values and not having to chase people and the whole gut-wrenching process that everybody hates. So it's been 20 years in the making and it's very effective and hopefully today I'll give some, some value and shift some thinking and some mindsets.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. The focus of your consultancy work and your training and programs, is, as you say, is about trust-based selling. Can you talk me, I guess, briefly through the principles that underpin that approach, just so we set a, a context for the conversation?
1: Sure. So I think that the real key here is the first sort of, what I say, clean out the mental hard drive, is the old conditioning that we've been used to around what selling is, a definition of it. And I think the way to address that is first around the idea, and I'm sure you know about this, but this concept called that sales is a numbers game. That's came from the old school gurus who said, the more contacts you make, the more calls you make, the more sales you make. Well, the world has changed to the extent now where it's not about how many contacts you make anymore. It's about how deep you go on each conversation, how good you are at trust building. That's one of the flips to think about. The other flip to think about is this, that the sale no longer is lost at the end of the process it's now lost at the beginning at hello and i'll prove it to you right now in a fun way if someone calls your office tomorrow morning and you pick up the phone and you hear hi my name is i'm with we are a what goes through your mind in about three seconds
0: yeah it's a sales call
1: it's over at hello, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, and I'll make the case today that many of your listeners or viewers are actually losing their opportunities, not at the end of the process, they're losing at the beginning of the process, which will be a bit of a shocker. And, uh, and th- those are really the key myths to kind of address before we kind of let everything out in terms of the new ideas to kind of get people shifting their thinking because the whole notion around trust-based selling is letting go of your own agenda. Letting go of your sale, letting go of your goal and being authentic and 100% present inside your ideal client's world. It's almost like a doctor-patient relationship, right? You're diagnosing their problem. You're not prescribing a solution and you're spending so much time with them diagnosing their problem and having them feel you understand them. There's this feeling of vibration resonance that they feel that you're the one for them. That's the concept behind it.
0: So you talk in your, in your books and your literature and, and other pieces about how you feel it has become almost socially acceptable not to tell salespeople the truth in the sales process when, you, when you're the buyer and perhaps stringing them along with no real intention of investing or in buying in the end. And Correct. many of our listeners today, including me, will have experienced that. And you gave a very clear example in your own, um, in the video I watched in the research. You suggest that trust-based selling is part of the solution to this but if there's a lack of integrity on the buyer side a culture based on a lack of integrity when it comes to the buying process then will trust based selling alone alone solve this issue you know surely there's it's more about trust based buying than just selling there's a there needs to be a fundamental change on both sides of the acquisition absolutely right process. but the
1: change starts with the person selling yes because the person selling is what triggers the buyer to play the game. Right. So if they sense being pursued or pressure or a sales pitch or extra relationship building, which is artificial and inauthentic, and, and they know it's a game. And when they know it's a game, their guard goes up, they pull back and they don't tell you the truth. But if you enter the conversation in a different way, different way of thinking, and, and what we call our trust-based language, which we'll talk about today, yep. words or phrases use a the dialogue, then they will shift their approach because they can sense that you do not have a hidden agenda like everybody else.
0: and what are the what are the indicators when you when you lead with a trust based approach and you're dealing with someone who is perhaps used to having a sales-based approach uh, inflicted upon them, so to speak, what are the indicators that suggest to you that they are buying into this process, that they are genuinely authentic in their response to the trust-based approach?
1: Well, when you can sense that they're willing to talk about themselves the entire time and their problem and not you and your solution, then you know you've made a, you've made a shift. Because mm-hmm. see, normally in a normal sales situation, what we do is we quali- qualify them first. We make sure they have the problem we can solve. And the minute we sense they're qualified, our gut reaction says to us, great, let's move them forward. And then we prematurely begin talking about the solution or go to a next step. Yes, We bypass the entire process of what I call going down the iceberg with somebody. And what that means is having the right kind of questions to really unpack their issues to a deep level where you ultimately ask this question. It's a profound question. And that is this. You say, is this a priority for you to solve once and for all, or are you happy to live with it long-term and I'm okay either way? Mm
0: -hmm. So you've talked about unpacking and you've given that great example there. Could you expand a little bit more on the the trust-based language? I think now is probably a good time to explain. You've given a, a very good example there of a question that needs to be asked. What are those other Language based questions that need to be addressed in the, in sure. the initial sales process?
1: Sure. So, we invented a whole body of work around what we call trust based languaging. Words and phrases used to activate this in real time uh, applied to every single sales scenario that's non scripted. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're having your first conversation with somebody over the phone, and they, they could be qualified, looks like a good fit, good chemistry there, the call is going well, and the call comes to an end. Normally in sales, we say things like what? We say, how about we follow up, follow up. We Mm -hmm. move forward. How about we move towards the what? The sale because we're conditioned to move people forward. But what happens if you attempt to move them forward and they aren't ready yet? What do you break with them right there early on in the process? You break trust, right? Mm -hmm. So same scenario, our mindset, our languaging. Calls going well good chemistry, good conversation, looks like a good fit. The call comes to an end where I'm saying, hey, how about we get together? How about we move forward? How about we sign this? What we say instead is this. We say, where do you think we should go from here? Mm-hmm. And I'll say it again. Where do you think we should go from here? Now, how does that change the dynamic of the moment?
0: Well, it it empowers the buyer, doesn't it? Rather than just having the the, the sale forced upon them, so to speak.
1: There's a shift absolutely in power. And what happens is when you say to somebody, where do you think we should go from here? They're usually in a state of shock. They can't believe somebody would in the world of business would actually ask them what they want to do that's unheard of because you're so used to being taken down a linear process to the end that's what puts their guard up and makes the whole relationship so dysfunctional because now you got to chase them to get to the truth but when you say to somebody where should we go from here they say things like well i've got one more question what about this and all you know comes out the truth
0: so do you do you feel i mean that raises a really interesting point and i wonder whether you felt that the the traditional buying route is based on a, or selling and buying route is based on a fundamental misconception. And that is that the the seller believes the power, the buyer has all the power, but the buyer actually feels the seller has most of the power because they feel backed into a corner through the language and the tone and the, whatever it happens to be, body language and so on. So they both end up being defensive or offensive when actually they should be coming together as the the fundamental principle of the old way actually built on a misconception.
1: Well, I think what happens is the buyer comes in defensive from the beginning. Right. Their guard is up. And what we have around us is what's called sales armor. <laughs> we carry around us, to protect us from the bullets, from chasing people, from the dehumanizing process that we're subjected to by following up with people and then not calling us back. That's dehumanizing. Yes. And so both of us are polarized at hello. We're already coming with our defenses up. And that's what creates this dysfunctional relationship that never really builds real trust because the walls are always up. So we have to first bring our own wall down and we have to let go of our goal and be present and be authentic and focus in on their issues at a real deep level. At such a deep level, that they feel compelled and connected to you because they say to themselves, he just gets me. He understands me. There's something about him. And on top of that, he's not even trying to sell me anything. I like him. See, what happens is psychologically, your potential clients really don't care about how you solve their problem. What they care about is if you're the one to solve it or not. And they're asking themselves the entire time: do I trust him? Do I trust him? Do I trust him? Not. How does your solution work? They don't care about that.
0: So you touched on a the point there at the beginning about sort of bring, bringing your walls down, breaking your barriers down. And, and you talk a lot as, as many others do about vulnerability in business today. And it's a, a common feature of the business discourse. Um, and you suggest in, in a lot of the literature that it's you need to demonstrate more openness and more vulnerability to initiate that trust-based selling. What perceptions or what um, lies behind vulnerability is quite subjective and quite open to perspective, and one recipient and buyer may may welcome it um, and embrace it, and another may see it as a as a weakness and exploit it. So in a world where you have a an enlightened trust-based seller, but a buyer who still has the old world mindset, how do you assess the right level of vulnerability to express? And does their vulnerability then become contrived?
1: Well, they have to feel from you that you authentically care about them. If they sense that you have a hidden agenda, if they can feel you're not being present with them, they are not going to come your direction. Yeah, You're going to have to fight the battle. And the whole goal here is to diffuse the tension, diffuse the pressure to connect with people where they sense that you actually care about them by not talking about you, your background, and your solution. Which is so countercultural, so contradictory to what selling is supposed to be. Selling is supposed to be a presentation about what you have to offer, giving value, educating people. That's the worst thing. I tell my clients, stop Giving value. Instead, provide clarity for people on what their problems are. Clarity is what the real value is. They don't want to be educated on your solution. Yeah. I mean, the world doesn't need more education.
0: You mentioned to diffuse the the problem, the challenge, and and that's one of the. I know that's one of the the core principles to diffuse rather than overcome. Could you? outline for me that the, the distinction between diffuse and overcome, just so the audience understands what that, that nuance is, if you like, in that part of the process.
1: Sure. There's a human reaction that we do when there's pressure, where we either fight or we flight. The two extremes, yeah. especially yeah. when we get objections. If someone says, you, um, Paul, your fees are too high. You're, I'm sorry, your, your coaching fees are too expensive for me. We're gonna, you're going to shift immediately to two, two extremes. Either defend your fees mm-hmm. or you're going to back away and, and, and not deal with the, with the pressure. Yeah. That's the only reaction that we know. Trust-based selling is a middle ground where you diffuse the tension and you re-engage again to preserve the relationship and not lose the opportunity. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. If someone says to you, Paul, your fees are too high, it's just too expensive for us. What, how do you react, react to that normally now, but just for fun? If someone's you, what would
0: you say? Usually, I would ask. I always try to get behind why they feel it's too high. Is it based on? Is it based on time? Is it based on the perceived value I'm bringing to the to the client? It's is just compared to, to other
1: people, you're just much higher, Paul.
0: Yeah. Sorry.
1: Compared to other people like yourself, you're just much higher.
0: Then I would. I, I guess you You're right. I would validate my. The value i bring to that conversation what i hope to deliver to that client
1: correct you start to defend that's all you would know to do but why don't you ask me that question now why don't you be the customer and say to me that my fee is too high
0: harry your fees are too high
1: paul you are absolutely right absolutely right the fees are high and they can be perceived as high definitely if you haven't had a chance actually experience what it's like to experience the transformation of the results of this no doubt about that everybody comes forward with us always from the beginning feels that way because from the outside in it does feel that way you're right about that no doubt about that would you be open to relooking at this from different perspective that might work for you to make this worth worth your time without would you be open to that so what i just did there with you is i didn't defend Yep. i didn't Run away i absorbed and i diffused i said you're absolutely right and you and you i could see a smile when you hear that because you're like what do you agree with me and then you and i then i re again by saying would you be open to reconsidering this in a different perspective
0: that's a really that's a really great technique that's a really great technique um for many in business a key component of trust is especially in regards to big contracts, has been in the room with with other people, assessing body language and all those other non-verbal clues that help to build a picture of a person's confidence or trustworthiness or whatever it happens to be. How has the more, in your view, how has the more remote nature of sales through the course of the last 18 months, through the course of the pandemic, how has it changed the way trust is given and received, if you like?
1: Well, I think when we were face-to-face, People learn to go heavy on the rapport building. Hi, how's it going? Nice to meet you. How's the weather? I love shoot. That's great. We see we're taught by the sales gurus to try and attempt to build a relationship with someone that we don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: and they know it's fake. It's artificial. It's just social graces. They know it's not authentic. They don't want to become your friend anyways. They don't even know who you are. And the problem is we're taking that. Offline and the online. Yes. So we have a Zoom call with somebody. What do we do? Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. How's the weather in Brisbane? Really? Oh, it's, look, I love your hair. Bud. Hey, what are you doing? See, we, we, we chum it up. And, and let me tell you, that's the worst thing you can do. And I tell my clients, stop building relationships with people pre-sale. You build them after they're a client, not before they're a client. When you go see a doctor, do they try and build a relationship with you? <laughs> no. They say, where does it hurt? And you say, right over here. And he said, let me take a look. He's over here. Ah, oh, Oh! wow. I think you get an x-ray right away. because We got to take a look at what the issue is there. Why do you suppose they're smart enough not to attempt to build a relationship with you? Why don't they do that? Besides the whole time factor.
0: Yeah, well, that would, that would have been my first answer. I guess because they, they are focused on finding the solution to the problem you have first.
1: Because not only, yes, absolutely. And not only that, they know if the social norms get involved, you won't comply with their recommendation. Right. And that's the same metaphor that we're using here. In trust-based selling, you engage right away on their problem and you unpack their problems at a deep level. They say to themselves, he gets me. It's like when you see a doctor and the doctor finally explains you what the problem is, and then write your prescription. You rock out the front door, but you go one more place before you go to your car. You know where you go? You go to that front desk and you pay. You pay, mm-hmm. you pay that, the doctor for diagnosing the problem. And you feel a sense of relief that somebody finally explained to you why it hurts so much. Now, the problem is never solved, by the way. Yes. But you yeah. feel a sense of catharticness, of relief and thankfulness that you went to the doctor. That's the same metaphor we're applying to trust-based selling. That your prospects and clients they don't really care about what's in the medicine bottle, but we, of course, we love that. We can't wait yeah. to talk about what's inside there, uh, the milliliters, what's inside. oh, we love what we we love what we do so much. See, they've got it down really well, and it's the same metaphor we're applying here. Is you got to pull back on the enthusiasm on your solution and focus your X-ray machine only on their problem. That's trust based selling.
0: Do you think any tools, techniques, attributes from the more remote selling environment will be reintegrated into the approach that salespeople will take when we come back to a more face to face world? Are there any good lessons to be learned from the remote selling environment?
1: Well, I I think that remote selling can be very, very productive and very successful if you're not selling the old way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're selling the old way that you think you are, like you were offline, pre all this happening in the world, then of course you're gonna get a lot of this at the end of the call. You're gonna get a lot of this. You ready? Here it comes. Uh, It was great, right? Nice to meet you. Let me think about this and we'll catch up again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Or you'll get some of your proposal and we'll take a look at it and we'll get back to you once we look at it. Yeah. And you're gonna say, oh, not again. (laughs) Because it's the different medium, but you're using the same approach as before. Yes. yeah. You got to change your... It's not the medium that's changed. You just got to change your approach that's got to change. Yes.
0: Key to building trust is, as you've you've suggested, is identifying what their problem is and finding that solution to their problem and unpacking their problem with them. Key to that has been curious enough to identify what sits behind the, perhaps the obvious problem, client side, you know, what is the the larger or the underpinning foundation of that challenge and issue? And you've got to be curious and able to, to, to do the research and to think about it creatively and, and laterally. Can curiosity, or first of all, I guess, is curiosity an underrated attribute for salespeople? And secondly, if it is, can it be taught? And how do you reintegrate that natural curiosity back into the sales process.
1: Well, I don't think curiosity necessarily is the driver here. I think the driver is here is knowing what the three or four core issues are of your market in advance of talking with people in your market. You can't be fishing anymore. The old days was, hey, how's it going? How's your business going? Are you having any problems at all? Oh, we can help you with that. That's the old fishing days where you fish for the problem, remember those days? Now you have to show up at hello, knowing their problems better than they do. Yeah. yeah. Articulating the impact, amplifying their issues in a way nobody ever has before. Helping them ROI what the impact is of not solving the problem. You see, people don't want to be vulnerable at hello and tell you, here's my problems. I'm so painful. You got to help me. They do not want to do that because they don't trust you yet. Trust is about building a moment of vulnerability where they feel comfortable unraveling and telling you the truth.
0: How does trust-based selling help to address the the unrealistic expectations, particularly that sometimes buyers go into the conversation with? You know, they, they hope and believe sometimes beyond reality that they have the best product that their customer will buy the whole solution, whatever it happens to be. How do you use trust-based selling to set a more realistic expectation as you go into that conversation?
1: First of all, I call that hopium. <laughs> Where we it's that drug that we have in our bodies. We kind of hope it's, it's going to work out. And we're intoxicated by the hopium. I joke about that. Uh, but the real key here is to detox from hopium is to let go of your goal of the sale. right? Because it's premature to have that goal until you figure out if both of you are a fit or not. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if they're a fit with you until you first go down the iceberg with them, is what I call it, and unpack them the surface level of their problems down below the surface to really understand if they want to own the problem or not. It's almost like a a therapist and a patient. If the patient doesn't own their own problem, they're the worst patients to ever have.
0: Buyers often invest on the basis of what they believe at the point of purchase when there's a a series of conversations with sellers. And we've all been in positions where we know what the competition has said in a specific deal or what they've promised is simply not able to be delivered, but the prospect believes your competition and invests in them on that basis. And once that prospect invests in them, it's very hard to, to bring them back to you or often the contracts are of a long term nature which can sometimes feel like you've been penalized, I guess, for your integrity rather than awarded for it in that process. How does trust-based selling change or how does the framework around trust-based selling address that challenge?
1: You tell them the truth. (laughs) I didn't suggest bashing the other person. I suggest and tell them the truth that their problem will not be solved by a firm who is attempting to get it, whatever, whatever, you know, cutting price, whatever it is, Focus on their problem, on not the solution. So mm-hmm. if you believe that the other people will not solve their problem and they'll still have the issues they currently have, then you focus on that, not on, the, on, on their solution. You don't say they're yeah. terrible, they're horrible. You say, if this is a priority for you to solve once and for all and stop the losses within 30 days, only one way to do it. Yeah. that is do this and this and this and that. Any other way is cutting corners and that your risk of not solving the problem.
0: Right, right. What is, um, I mean, obviously the new p is principles of leadership. What does principled leadership look like in a sales environment? And when you're leading a sales team, when you're a sales director, what are the characteristics in your mind that constitute principled leadership?
1: It's being grounded, grounded in values. Mm-hmm. Values of telling the truth, diffusing any pressure in the process, and also being what I call a problem solver. Those are three core principles you have to have in PLSPL, those those values, because that's what grounds you over anybody else selling your product. Because here's the thing, your differentiation will not be your solution. We're living in a commoditized world. There's no way you can make the case that yours is better than them. They won't believe you anyways. Yes. So your differentiation to win this game or to win this market share is changing the way you sell, changing your approach. So it's different than everybody else and still have the same similar product because they don't care about the product per se. They care about you. And if you're the one they can trust enough to tell you the truth, the way you succeed in this new economy is by having a unique sales approach because the likelihood of having a unique product is, is very unlikely. Yeah,
0: yeah. If adopting a trust-based sales process doesn't initially result in success, for whatever reason, that could be a number of factors outside of your control, what, does an, what steps does an individual take within your framework to quickly but effectively reevaluate those foundations upon which they are engaging with customers?
1: Well, we have a checklist that we give to our clients, which basically it's a self-check process where you check one, did I let go of my goal, my mm-hmm. agenda? Yes or no? Did I, how deep did I go in their problem? Service level or deep level? Number three, did I prematurely offer my product or service before they're ready to ask for help. This is the right. self checklist you have to go to, to keep yourself centered. I'll give you an example. I recently had someone call my office. They got through all my, my, my team. They got to me. I picked the phone up and I heard this. I heard Mr. Mr. Galper. I said, yes, my name is John Johnson. I'm with XYZ company. And uh, we're looking to hire someone like yourself to come into our business and change our sales culture. We're looking at you to look, we want to know why should we go with you? Uh, why are you the best? Give me your best sales pitch. He says this to me in down call. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: My first reaction was like, wow, it's a big company. But I, I took a deep breath because I know the game. If I get the hopium too quickly, too fast. <laughs> I took a deep breath, lowered my voice. And I said to him, well, isn't that interesting? And I paused for a moment. And then I said, over here at our company, we have a similar process to you where we asked some questions, gather information to see if we're a good fit. And if we're a good fit, we decide where to go from there. And I said to him, would you be open to that? Next thing I heard on the phone, dead silence, not a word. <laughs> Finally, I put his breath across. He just breathed like a sigh of relief. His shoulders, <laughs> came, I can tell he just kind of became human again. Yeah. He lowers his voice and he says to me, uh, okay, what kind of questions do you have for me? Next thing I know, I discovered in five minutes, one, he's not a decision maker. Mm-hmm. Two, he has no budget. And three, he just cures as to what I do. Yes. And off he went. I misled my website for some information. I hung up the phone. Now, what did that process save me months of? Chasing. Pursuing. Mm. Hoping. Yep. Playing the numbers game. getting rejected, dehumanizing myself. You see, if you don't take control of the process at hello, then you're subjected to their process. Yes. Good point. And you'll be a casualty along the way.
0: Yeah. You've, you mentioned at the top end of this conversation, you've been developing this process and framework for over 20 years. I wondered in your own professional life, what is what is it that you have struggled with most as a salesperson, and and what did you come and what did you do to overcome it?
1: Well, I think even to this day, sometimes. Uh, this week I had a potential client who wanted to hire me, and I and I we had a session together, and we started the conversation. He immediately took control, of dominating the conversation, saying how much he knew about sales, and said to myself, "This is not somebody who wants to learn anything." Yeah. And I said this to him and he, he, was, he was gonna pay me a lot of money. I said to him, I knew my instinct said to me, this is not a good fit. I could tell he's not gonna be a good student.
0: Yeah.
1: I said to him, I'll make up the name, Jim. I think it's best that we disengage at this point. That's my favorite word now, disengage. <laughs> uh, and I explained to him why in a nice way that we weren't a fit given where he's at in his mindset right now. And I let him go. Yeah. Because this process that I teach people is about you selecting them, not them selecting you how How does the the pandemic, which has put a
0: lot of pressure on a lot of businesses and a need to rethink and re-engage with customers and to to bring a business back into some sort of rude health? How has that changed the power imbalance and how will a trust-based selling process enable those businesses who feel there is an even more significant power imbalance between buyer and seller, how will it change the way they can re-engage their business as we come out of the pandemic?
1: Well, first of all, this will empower you as an owner of a company or a sales team to be able to reach out to people in a way where you will not be rejected. Yes. How empowering is that to never again express rejection? We discovered actually that rejection is triggered by certain things you say and do unconsciously that cause the other person to resist you. So I would suggest to you also that the human condition has never changed and it will never change no matter how much Changes around us. Mm-hmm. If you go to the basic level here, this is the human condition and building trust with people in a way that they've, they've yearned for. They yearn to have somebody understand them. We all do. And here you are coming in, being the person to do that. Do you understand what that, how that makes the other person feel? They say to themselves, there's something about Paul that just... Feels right. I don't care how much he charges. I'm going to go with him.
0: For those salespeople, and there are many of us because not all of us are natural salespeople, but we've ended up in business or as entrepreneurs and we've got a, a product that we need to engage customers with. But many salespeople carry a, an internal narrative, an imposter syndrome, if you like. And for those, salespeople. At face value, moving from a sales-based process to a trust-based process means going from why would they buy from me to why would they trust me? What is inherent in the trust-based selling process that also helps, I guess, to reframe the internal narrative of the seller, the internal narrative that we, some of us tell ourselves?
1: Well, essentially, the core of that is you have to take responsibility for the outcomes you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. If you're getting a lot of, let me think about it, or some of your proposal, or call me next week, it's not them that's the problem. It's you. Yeah. Your behavior, your languaging, and your mindset and your process trigger that to occur. You have to own your own issues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a therapist you have to (laughs) let go of your conditioning and realize think about it they've got a problem you got the solution right yes straight line of sight what's the middle of that us and we fumble the ball hey how's it going nice to meet you look let me tell you what we do we and the whole thing gets messed up yeah because we're the problem because we've been so conditioned to to Show our credibility to talk about our solution, to give them a demo, to discuss how we can help them. See, we're so our our identity is our, our solution. We are our solution. So we cannot wait to tell people about it. Yeah. They don't care about that. They care about whether you're the one who understands them the most about their world, not yours. Yes. And this goes, by the way, beyond sales. This goes to relationships yeah. children your spouse yes this is all about trust based communication with people how to connect at a deep level when you're not selfish about your own goals hello
0: <laughs> what are the words or phrases language that you don't use in a trust based selling environment so for listeners of this podcast today and we've heard some of the great language to use and the approaches and the questions that we should use what are some of those triggers or words that we definitively shouldn't use if we move towards trust-based so i'll give
1: you a phrase right now that i'm going to ask all your listeners and viewers to never again use ever again as of today mm-hmm. and if you've been in sales for a long time this might hurt just a bit <laughs> you ready for this one yes I'm going to ask everyone to never again use the phrase follow-up as of today, ever again in their business life. And when you call somebody and say, hi, I'm giving you a call to follow-up, what's the other person thinking?
0: Well, you're chasing
1: them, I guess. Exactly. All they care about is getting the sale.
0: Yeah.
1: That's like 1980s. Hi, I'm calling to check (laughs) in with you. Touch base, follow-up. Do not use any of that language on email ever again. It's the worst thing. And here you are heart-centered and you're not aggressive. But your languaging screams, hi, I'm here to move things forward towards my sale. Yes. Here's what you say instead. This comes right from our program. You say this. You say, I'm giving you a ring, giving you a call to see if you have any feedback on our previous conversation. Any feedback on our last meeting any feedback on a proposal feedback's going where not forward it's going backwards yeah. away from the sale see your goal is to remove momentum from the process it's so contradictory what i'm telling you momentum that's what's not to move them forward are we not backwards <laughs> no the minute you attempt to move somebody forward it's over you broken trust you have to let them move it forward. Yes.
0: Ari, we always end the new PL conversation with offering guests one or two final pieces of wisdom that listeners can go away and use in their business and apply in their business. What would those final one or two pieces of wisdom be from your perspective?
1: I'd say, first of all, stop selling and build trust instead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing is, You've got to learn how to be more authentic in your approach to how you sell. I got that from my son, Toby, who has Down syndrome. I wrote a book about him called Lessons from Toby. And he taught me how to be transparent, how to care for people, how to let go of my own goal. If you know anybody who has Down syndrome, you know these people are beautiful kids and children and adults. They're just so pure in their souls. And boy, do we all need more of that, don't we, in the world of sales? Absolutely.
0: Ari, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your time on the new P&L. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what Ari and his team does, please go to unlockthegame.com, and you'll also find the links and the notes that accompany this podcast. And as I mentioned in the introduction, don't forget to check out the details of our new Mantramind program, our exclusive monthly get together for executives, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. And the notes for this are also in the links that accompany this podcast. And finally, if you've enjoyed today's conversation with Ari, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PNL. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great day and speaking again soon.